It is week five of our series, 30 Day Marriage Makeover, and the last two weeks we have been thinking together about the biblical principle that husbands and wives should meet each other's greatest needs. And for wives, as we saw last week, that need is love, unconditional love. For husbands, that need is respect. And I just want to say as we get started, if you weren't able to be here the last two weeks to fully understand uh, what I'm talking about, what we're sharing about today, it would be helpful to also have heard those previous two messages. Because based on what we've been talking about, today we're going to explore in some detail what it means for a wife to show her husband respect. This is an idea that is often misunderstood. It sometimes is abused and misused. And it is just absolutely critical that we make sure that we're clear on what the Bible actually teaches. So how can a wife grow in her ability to meet her husband's need for respect? See, as a husband is seeking to grow in meeting his wife's need for unconditional love, a wife should be striving to grow in meeting her husband's need for unconditional respect. She should be growing to understand what that is and how she can meet that need. I think everybody knows uh, comedian Rodney Dangerfield's trademark saying. It kind of summarizes the way that uh, many men feel about their lives. He, he says, I don't get no respect. And just a question, just something to think about. I, I wonder how many husbands here today actually feel disrespected sometimes. You see, just as wives may feel unloved, husbands can feel disrespected. And this may be a new thought. It's a different thought in 21st century America. Maybe some of you never really heard it before, but I just want to remind you it has been in the Bible for 2,000 years. Our key verse, Paul says in Ephesians 5.33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Peter also communicated the same message in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2, but he adds another significant element. Peter says that wives are to show respect even for husbands who are unbelievers. He writes, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. I've told you the last two weeks that I have learned a great deal from the best-selling book, Love and Respect, by Dr. Emerson Egerich. And again, I am indebted to his insights and much of what I'm sharing with you today. It's such powerful teaching. I think it has incredible potential to make over marriages, to transform some of our homes. And so I'm bringing it to you, and I hope that you will consider exploring the book and, and reading it for yourself. You know, again, we come to this place where we don't get each other. Women often will say, men just don't get it. But ladies, I don't know if you know this or not, but men often think women don't get it. They don't usually say women don't get it because that doesn't usually go well for us, but we think it. (laughs) And so I want to help you get it better today because I believe that you can be uh, a real blessing to your spouse if you get what unconditional respect is about. I want to begin by giving you briefly four truths about men and respect. We've talked about these some before, but just to highlight them, just to keep them in mind, you can write this down. First of all, a man's greatest need is unconditional respect. And again, if you weren't here the last two weeks, this may be a new thought for you, but I think it's so important. I believe that if you do not accept this, you will never truly understand your husband. 
And again, this respect that we're talking about is unconditional. It does not have to be earned. You grant it apart from his performance. Second truth, a man's need for respect is equivalent to a woman's need for love. So just as you as a woman need to be loved apart from your performance, so your husband needs respect. And when you say something like, he doesn't deserve my respect, he has to earn it, it is no different than if he were to say to you, I won't love you until you change. You have to earn my love. See, that would crush you, right? Withholding respect does the same to him. I think it is why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.33 that husbands must love their wives and wives must respect their husbands. Third, a woman who gives respect will motivate a man to love. And this is such a powerful principle. It's a principle that works everywhere. You motivate people when you meet their needs. And if you are married to a good-willed man, and most of you actually are, when you show him unconditional respect, he will almost be unable to stop himself from showing you unconditional love. As you each do this, you can get off what Dr. Egerich calls the crazy cycle, and you can start getting on what he calls the energizing cycle. It's just really an incredible thing. The more you show your husband unconditional respect, the more he shows you unconditional love. The more he loves you, the more you respect him, and it just goes around and around, and it's a good thing. And then fourth, unconditional respect is demonstrated in respectful behavior. Now, this gets to the heart of what we're going to be talking about today, and it's vital that you understand this. And here's kind of the reason why. What many of you may find hard about this whole concept is that some of you look at your husband today, and you would say he's really not respectable. Now, I want to say some things, and I just want to be very, very clear about this. It may be that some of you are here today, and you are married to abusive men, and in a church our size, the the statistics tell us there are some abusive relationships going on that no one may know about. That may be your case. He may be physically abusive. He may be verbally or emotionally abusive. And so I want to be as clear as I possibly can. I want to say it in the strongest possible terms that nothing that I say today can in any way be interpreted to excuse any kind of abuse. See, respect and abuse have nothing to do with each other. And so I want to speak to any men who may be in this place, and you're here today, and no one else knows what you're doing but your wife. If this is you, do not twist my words. Do not try to take anything that I'm saying and use it to try to justify your sin, because abuse is sin. And if you are abusing, you must repent and you must stop. And if you do not, I'm telling you now, God will bring judgment on you in some way, at some time. I also want to say, if you are receiving abuse, you're in an abusive situation, that we as a church family want to help you. And so I want to encourage you to reach out to us. We want to do anything we can to try to help you in this. And I want to say, as your pastor, something very clear. God does not call any of us to remain in an abusive place. He does not call you to remain under abuse. Now, some husbands may not be abusive, but they're addicted to, say, alcohol or substances of some kind or pornography. And so 
some wives may be hearing this and thinking right now, well, how can I respect that? And when you put all this together, again, I want to say, I'm not talking about respecting sin. I'm not talking about excusing sin. This is about how you behave toward him. In fact, you might write this down. You can be respectful even when he's not respectable. You can even confront sin in a respectful manner. Again, look at what Peter said. Peter isn't telling a wife with an unbelieving husband to respect his sin. He says it's about respectful behavior toward him that is so powerful that the husband may be one even without a word. And respectful behavior can even include confronting sin. Maybe something like this. Maybe you say to your husband, there is nothing you can do to get me to stop respecting the person God sees in you, the person I see in you. But I respect you too much to let you continually give in to this sin. See, remember what Jesus said? He said it to all of us. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus unconditionally loves and respects the spirit of a person, even while He confronts their sinful behavior. See, part of what goes on in this area is that many women act disrespectfully without realizing it. And maybe some of you even right now are kind of dismissive of what I'm saying. You just write all this off and you say, you know, all this respect talk is just childish. And you say that because it's not your need. See, it's easy to pass judgment on someone who's vulnerable where you're strong. And maturity means that I say, my spouse isn't wrong. They're just different. And I I give them grace where they're vulnerable. I, I think one of the important things for wives to understand is this. Many times it is not what you say to your husband that disturbs him. It is how you say it. And he sees the way that you talk to him and he interprets that as disrespectful. Maybe you could try this after a fight. Maybe a fight will happen in the next week or so. I don't know. But you have a fight could be in a couple houses around this church somewhere, you know, sometime. You have a fight, you have an argument. After that is over, go into the bathroom where there's a mirror and try the best you can to reenact your facial expressions and your gestures. See, and then you ask yourself, is there any human being in your husband's life that talks to him that way? The research indicates that when your spirit is wounded, when you feel unloved, your eyes darken, your your face gets sour, you kind of mother and scold, that finger comes out, um, that one, not the other one. Um, You roll your eyes, you put your hands on your hips. All the research says that in a male's world, your facial expressions and your gestures send a message to him that he interprets like this. He hears you saying, I am using this topic to let you know I despise you. That's what he hears through his blue hearing aids. And in truth, you might be trying to say, I need you to love me. I need you to listen to me. We need to talk right now. That's what you're trying to say, but he's not hearing that. And so you can begin to ask yourself, Will what I'm about to say or do feel disrespectful? And many times, all you have to do is soften your tone. This is not about you becoming a doormat. This doesn't mean that you move into absolute silence. Do you realize that you can say almost anything to any man? See, women, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you've heard your husband's trash talk with his buddies, right? Men say things to one another, and and women hear what they say, and they can't believe that they would say that kind of stuff. It's so mean. 
but men say those things with a twinkle in their eye, and the, and the guys hearing it know. Men don't do dark looks and sour faces and wagging fingers to each other. That's all we know provocative in a men's world. That, that could get us hurt. We know that. And so we don't do that. We learn as boys not to do that because men have kind of an honor code. Just like women have a, a love code, they know there are things that you would never do to another woman because that's unloving. You just don't do that. But again, because you're a woman, you don't understand the areas of respect in the same way and do those things naturally that a man would. And so women need to be very careful not to send a a message of disrespect. See, you can say some very, very strong things if you speak his language. For example, you can say to him, I believe in who you are, even though what is happening is painful for you and me. And I know you don't want to be this way. I, I know who you are. If anyone knows who you are, I know who you are deep in your soul. But sometimes you wound me so badly. Strong words, but you can say those. That works. See, some of us sometimes haven't learned how to discipline our tongues. Proverbs ten nineteen says, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. And sometimes we talk way too much and we end up saying imprudent things and, and we sometimes think that somehow, some way, they'll get it if we just keep talking long enough. Instead, we have to learn how to say the right thing in the right way and then go quietly. So what I'm talking about as we go through this message is respectful behavior. Respectful behavior. So how do we do that? Well, I want to show you four ways that you can show respect to your husband, and you can write these down. Number one, uh, respect his desire to work and provide. Listen to Genesis 2.15. says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, just think about this. Here's the context. This is in paradise. Eve has not even been created at this time. She's not around. Why did God create Adam? Well, he created him to work, and he created him to work even in paradise. Work is not a curse. Think about this today. What is the first thing, first question that every man asks every other man whenever they meet? What do you do? What do you do? It's called the instrumentality of the male, and men just kind of have to have an instrument in their hands. They've done experiments where they put five-year-old girls into a room with a with a, a, a floor-length mirror, you know, and they, they put him into that room. It's big mirror all by herself. And, and the little girl doesn't know it, but they are videotaping her. And, and the research indicates that 100% of the time, she will talk to herself in that mirror. <laughs> and then they bring a five-year-old boy into the room, and they put him in front of the mirror. What does he do? Well, he usually begins by talking to himself, but... Before long, suddenly he will go, or he'll go, or maybe, why? Well, we're different. You know, you can put a little boy on a pile of dirt, and he will watch bulldozers for hours and hours. You go back to the beginning of creation, you see what the word of God tells us. God designed men to be in the field. And the Bible says that God designed women primarily to be in the family. When sin enters the world, how is the curse expressed? Well, men are cursed in the field. You're going to labor and be 
toilsome and it's frustrated by the sweat of your brow. You see, the field is where the man receives honor and significance, but all honor is fleeting. We live in a broken world. There will be no perfect respect. But because of the fall, women are cursed in the family by pain in childbirth, by, by pain in her marriage. And the, the home is where love is found, but, but paradise is lost. And so you'll never have the perfect Thanksgiving meal or the perfect Christmas celebration or the perfect family or the perfect marriage. Paradise has been lost. In fact, Eve had paradise, but she wanted more. It's called the insatiability of the female. And women tend to be more idealistic than men. They, they long truly for what is best. And in part, God has put that in you to motivate you toward his ideal. It can be a real strength, but sometimes some of us can become bitter and be dissatisfied. And we're never satisfied. And if you're not careful, you can turn into a resentful, sour person. Do you know that today women are divorcing their husbands at two to three times the rate that men are initiating. And even in the church sometimes, we can be as guilty as the culture of saying to women, you deserve to be loved perfectly, romantically, all the time. And yet the Bible never says that. As I told you earlier, the Bible says, if you marry, you have not sinned, but you will have trouble. That's a promise. In the Bible, one of us, most of us never claim that promise. And then we say, we don't have to claim the promise. It just happens, right? See, we live in a fallen world and we cannot have a sinless relationship. Sin isn't okay, but it will always be there and we must account for that reality. It is crucial that all of us become biblically realistic and recognize that none of us, none of us will ever have full significance in this life. See, this is why a lot of men die two years after they retire. Their whole life was built on what they did in the field. This is why so many women are disillusioned at the end of their lives as they look at their marriages and they look at their families and they've never been what they hoped they would be and they, they feel that they have failed. But, but God is saying to us in many cases, you don't need to go there. You need to accept that this place we live in, this world we live in is not heaven. It's broken and it's fallen and we, we live in that reality. We go back to the idea of the man that he derives a sense of satisfaction and significance in the field. And in, in Genesis 2.18, God creates Eve and she comes alongside of him and she believes in what he is doing in the field. And just think about that in courtship when you used to go out together and you'd sit in the restaurant and he would talk to you about his dreams and you would just encourage him and you would affirm that. I mean, I think we've all experienced is that women are typically much stronger in this area of affirmation. You're the ones who throw the parties. You're the ones who give the celebrations. And God has put that in your heart. And during courtship, you cheered him. But three children later, it's kind of hard to be the cheerleader. And maybe something has happened in his soul and he just doesn't know how to get it back. Kate said to Steve, I am sick and tired of you choosing work over the family. You get up early, you come home late, you don't care about me or the kids. Yes, I got your message about your promotion, but I don't care. This is all about you. It's always about you. You work all day and have fun all day and you never think about me. And then when you come home, you fall asleep watching TV. We never talk. You always find time for what's important to you. You need to make me feel more important. Well, I'm thinking about going back to school and we need to talk about this tonight. You're gonna to need to pay for this. 
Right now, though, before you get home, you need to pick up the kids again from their lessons, and you need to take that check over to Mary Maids. I, I forgot to pay them for cleaning the house. I stayed too long at InShape talking to my friends. <laughs> you need to talk about kind of spinning on the crazy cycle. And maybe, maybe you're in a PMS moment, and you can justify it. PMS is pre-murder syndrome. <laughs> But you need to know if you do that, you're attacking his spirit in a huge way. And again, many women have no idea of the importance that men put on their work. And if you don't value his work, you're calling him a loser. Now, I know today some women will say, well, we want to work too. We want to have careers too. But there's a difference in almost all cases. Your husband has a call to the field. He doesn't see it as an option. Women may want a career, but they still want freedom of choice but men feel they have to work. <laughs> I love what Tim Allen said a few years ago. He said, today women have all kinds of choices. They can be married with children without career. They can be married with children with career. They can be unmarried with children with career. They can be unmarried without children with career. A woman's choices are endless. Men have two choices, work or go to jail. <laughs> And maybe you need to ask yourself sometime, is it possible your husband kind of feels like he's just a meal ticket for you? Does he hear you sometimes say demeaning, condescending things? Maybe like, I have four children, three by birth, one by marriage. Do you respect his desire to work and to provide? Well, what can you do? Let me give you three questions that can help you think of some practical ways to show respect to him. Here's the first question. Do you ever say thanks for working? I mean, actually say it. You know, some women think a lot about thanking their husbands for working, but they never tell him. I mean, just turn that around. How would you feel about a man who says he thinks a lot about telling his wife he loves her, but he never does? See, don't forget, relationships go both ways. Second question, do you ever still tell him you believe in him? And third, do you listen to his work stories as closely as you expect him to listen to your family stories? You see, he may act in some ways that feel unloving to you, but maybe it seems to him that you don't respect his desire to work and provide. And I know you don't intend to, but your intentions are not the issue. Maybe he's not intending to be unloving either, but he is vulnerable here. Respect his desire to work and provide. Here's the second thing. Respect his desire to lead and protect. It was Q&A time at a church conference on husbands and wives' roles in the home, and a, a really eager young wife stood up, raised her hand, and said, you know, I, I want him to be the leader. I just want to make sure that he leads the way I want him to. And as everyone in the room broke into laughter, everyone knew what she was saying. And it was an innocent question. She wasn't being belligerent. She was just being honest. Well, husbands hear the call to lead and protect their families as a responsibility, not a right. It's women and children first. Yes, we die. That's how they see it. First Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is how men see themselves. We, we, we see leading as a responsibility, not a right. 
Now, our secular culture sees this as men wanting to dominate, and that may be the case in some situations, but most of the time, most men see this as a responsibility. If we don't lead, we're irresponsible. In fact, this is at the core of what the Apostle Paul says earlier in Ephesians 5. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, obviously, this is a complex passage, but whatever else this means, it must be defined by the relationship of Christ to the church. Jesus died for the church. What does it mean to be the head, to be the leader of the home? It means we die. It's a responsibility. It's not a right. Now, women can hear this as a call to dominate, and some men, yes, do go that way, but often when he is trying to dominate and control, it's growing out of a feeling of disrespect. He's trying to send a message. I don't feel respected right now. Let me ask you again just to think about this. Does your husband believe that you respect his desire, his efforts in this area? And again, just like love should be unconditional, Respect is unconditional. It's not about performance. You know, men are extremely vulnerable to certain things that women can be uh, very clueless about sometimes. Uh, Dr. Eggerich tells about a couple who went with friends to see their, their beautiful new home, and they were halfway through the tour going down the steps when the wife stopped, turned around, and poked her husband in the chest and said to him, you need to get a second job. And then she turned and walked on down uh, the steps continued with the tour. The husband was devastated. He turned white. And on the way home, the husband did not cry, I can't believe how you hurt me in front of those people. He will white knuckle the steering wheel. He'll get home and he will not have sex with the drill instructor for six weeks. He'll be angry. And, and she'll start videotaping this, and she will take the tape to her mom, and she will tell her girlfriends about it, and she might even tell the pastor about it. See how he treats me? Look how he treats me, and she's filming in pink. And, and Dr. Edgerich says, if you ask the woman if anything preceded that, she'll remember this. She's not trying to hide it, but she just doesn't take this need seriously. She'll think he should be tough enough to take it. She'll say, he should just know I'm ventilating. No, he will just die. Some of the wives that are here right now may be thinking, oh, no, it's me. I, I feel terrible. I've been blaming him, and, and, and this, is, this is on me, too. I want you to listen. If you see ways that you've been wrong, and if you see ways that you want to change, all you have to say to him is something like this. I realize I've been so disrespectful, and I've been saying to you that you're unloving, and sometimes you are but I am so sorry for not respecting you. And he will say, do you mean that? Yeah, I do. And he will say, you're just saying that because Pastor Mike preached on that. <laughs> no, no, I really mean it. You really believe that? Yes, it's me. I've done, I've done these things. And he will say, hey, forget it. Let's go watch the game. Game's on. Here, here's a Coke. Come on. See, you're not married to a man who has his loving issue, but your husband is honorable. Again, not wrong, just different. 
your husband doesn't have a need to say to you, you know what, we need to talk about this tonight and we need to talk about this tomorrow night. And what did you mean when you said to me back in 1993 that you didn't really respect me and you were wearing that stupid green sweater that I never liked? I mean, he doesn't even remember the decade. So just drop it, just forget it. Like, like move on. And you know, you, you hate that at times when you want to bring things full circle and talk about them. But there are times, let me tell you, when you want, you want to thank God that this is the way he is. Because if you ask him forgiveness for being disrespectful, he won't need to talk about it for three hours. So don't criticize him for this. Just be thankful. And when you meet this need, that's where healing comes. And you know, people, again, I like to say the key to marriage is communication, but the key to marriage is mutual understanding. And if you remove the mother tongue of men from the marital equation, you're not going to have good communication. You're not going to have mutual understanding. Let me give you a practical suggestion. This is very simple to do. It may seem kind of weird at first, but here it is. Write a respect card. You're going to have to write one because they don't sell these. <laughs> and you can begin it by saying it his way. You can use you know, your term of endearment, whatever that is, dear Poochie Poo, <laughs> I was thinking of you the other day that you would literally die for me. That is an overwhelming thought for me. Thank you. And then you sign it this way, with all my respect, the one who still admires you. Now, you won't be able to see it if you look around the room, but there are guys who are tearing up inside right now. <laughs> and you need to know this is the kind of thing that men will literally give their lives for. That's why, that's why men love to see Saving Private Ryan or Braveheart or Gladiator. They get energized, highly energized by stories of honor. See, I know you, you get energized by Sleepless in Seattle or How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> Not wrong. Just different. And you know, so if we, we, if we don't understand this, we pass judgment on men. This happens all the time in our culture. We're always saying there's something wrong with men. Men don't have feelings. No, they're not women. <laughs> and they do have feelings, but you have to speak their mother tongue. Here's the third thing. Respect his desire for shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. Again, you go back to the creation story, and God, we are told in the Bible, created the woman as a companion for the man, as a friend. Uh, Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it isn't good for man to be alone. I will make a companion for him, a helper suited to his needs. See, when your husband married you, he did it because you loved and liked him. Go to the Song of Solomon. This is how God describes the couple in this book this, this way. He says, eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. And then she says, he is altogether lovely. This is my lover, this my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now notice she is telling her girlfriends this. And there was a time in your relationship when he saw you as his best friend. But life happens, children come, burdens mount, and you're exhausted, and there, there are issues that we all struggle with in our lives, and I'm not discounting those things at all. They happen to men. They happen to women. And, but sometimes in the midst of all this, negativity just kind of comes over you. You know, the research says that women want their relationship to be more positive, but men want their relationship to be less negative. 
That's how it goes down. And so sometimes in the home, you, you become unfriendly. Remember, I read Titus 2, uh, verses 3 and 4 to you last week. It says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. You might circle that word love. Uh, I told you last week, this is not the word agape, which is godlike, unconditional love. The word here is the word phileo. It's about friendship, love. And, and so it's saying that the wife, she is to be friendly toward her husband and children. I mean, you could ask the kids any day, does your mommy love you? And they'll say, yes. But if you ask them, does she like you? They might say, no, not today. We've been bad. (laughs) And like I said last week, it says to phileo your husband, not fillet him. (laughs) You see, in courtship, remember, you, you just wanted to be with him. He'd play intramural basketball or softball or something, and you just came and you cheered him on, and he thought it would always be that way, just shoulder to shoulder with him. See, his desires haven't changed. As a woman, you want a face-to-face relationship with him, and if you were here last week, you heard me encourage the men to grow in that and to do that to meet their wives' need, to do that as a man of honor. I am now turning it around and saying to you, as a woman of love, you do shoulder-to-shoulder things with him, sometimes without talking, just to be with him. Again, women tend to say, you know, the key to marriage is communication, but I want to ask you, challenge you, where does the Bible say that? It actually doesn't. If anything, the Bible says for women, marriage uh, refers to inner quietness. And you need to remember, you don't always have to talk to him to connect. In fact, you will find, if you haven't realized it already, that many, many times your husband is energized by your mere presence, oftentimes without your talking. That wasn't intended to be funny, but if it is, I I mean, if you're with him without talking, maybe you've discovered this, that he probably will open up eventually. Now, I know this makes no sense to women, but I want to remind you, I said a number of things last week that make no sense to men. Like when you tell men to communicate, they are always wondering, why do we have to keep talking about the same thing over and over again. Dr. Deborah Tannen did some very interesting research. She, she took four sets of female best friends in their 20s and 16s and 12s and 6s, different ages. She brought uh, the pairs into a room with two chairs and left them there. Now, what do you think all the females did with the chairs? Well, they turned the chairs face to face and they talked face to face. Or They turned in the chair, put their elbow on their face, and faced one another and talked, all of them. That's what women do. It's really how God made you. Then she did the same thing with four sets of male best friends, same ages. What do you think the men and the boys did with those chairs? Except for the six-year-olds who didn't sit in them, but but don't (laughs) worry, we'll medicate them and uh, calm them down. Well, the men did not move the chairs, but they just sat looking straight ahead and periodically they would look at one another and talk. I mean, these are best friends. Interestingly, the researchers concluded that the most intimate of the conversations took place with the 16-year-old boys. And Dr. Tannen and her crew were stunned. The men and the boys mostly seemed to sit there, didn't say a lot, didn't look a lot, but they said it was incredibly transparent. 
And again, I, I say this with love, but women can have this idea that relationships must happen the way they like them or they're not real. Again, not better, not worse, just different. That's why when guys go out hunting, they head out into the woods and they're gone for three days and the guy comes home and the wife says, how was your time with Bob? And the husband says, good. <laughs> and the wife says, what are you talking about? And the husband says, nothing. <laughs> and the wife says, you didn't ask Bob about Mary's pregnancy? And the husband says, Mary's pregnant? See, you, you may think he's ridiculous. But again, this isn't always about your needs. You, you may think that watching the game on TV with him is a waste of time because you don't talk. And so after a while, you get up and leave and you go do something productive. I would encourage you, just ask him and see. Maybe, maybe he wants you just to be there with him. Maybe he doesn't care. But you might be surprised at how much he enjoys you just being there with him. I want to say to you, if you do this in a way that meets his needs, ultimately it will meet your needs because typically the way you energize your husband is to be with him shoulder to shoulder and then eventually he may turn to you and say something so transparent that you just fall off your chair. But you have to give him time. Again, I told you a couple weeks ago, we're slow. <laughs> be with him. Because energy goes into him shoulder to shoulder. He has a need for that. You don't. Is that okay? Now, again, I know because I've been a pastor for over 30 years and I've talked to lots of people. I'm confident that some of you right here right now are just struggling with all this. And part of your struggle is it just goes against everything that our culture has told us and tried to inculcate into our thinking for decades. And I, I want to say, as I do from time to time, we need to ask ourselves where our thinking has been shaped, not by God's word, but by our secular culture. Why do we feel uncomfortable with what God's word says? And God's word does say, husbands, you must love your wives. It does say, wives, you must respect your husband. God's word says this. But some of you are thinking, I'm sure, you know, Pastor Mike, I have to be honest. I don't feel any respect for him. And it would be hypocritical for me to show respect to him when I don't feel it. You don't want me to be a hypocrite, do you? I know you don't want me to be a hypocrite. He hasn't earned my respect. And everybody says you have to earn my respect. And he just doesn't deserve it. And besides that, he's not superior to me. And that's the dictionary definition of respect. You know, you're, you respect your superiors. And I'm not inferior to him. In fact, I'm not going to be treated like a doormat. I'm certainly not going to give him license to do whatever he wants. And then when he comes home, I have to get the pom-poms out and cheer him on. And I'm certainly not going to lose a sense of myself. I am not going to set the feminist movement back 50 years. You know what I think you're really up to, Pastor Mike? You want to return us all to male patriarchy and male dominance. And I will not do that. But other than that, I'm, I'm really open to hearing what you have to say on this. <laughs> you know, again, I, I get, I get it that some of us may not like this idea that men and women are different. But again, we need to ask ourselves, where have our thoughts been shaped? How has our worldview been molded? Is our, our view of our thinking in this area shaped more by a Western secular ideology. And by the way, if you want to be tolerant about respecting all views, you need to know that these things that we're talking about today in our secular culture, they are Western ideas. 
These are not universal principles. They are ideas that are particular to a certain culture at a certain point of time. And if you elevate these ideas above all else, you are just as intolerant as the person who says, no, I believe in this. So are we shaped by God's word or are we shape our culture? Are we willing, if we've been mostly shaped by our culture, to be shaped by God's word? Having said this, I want to say again, because I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I don't want anyone to go away and say, I said things that I did not say. Nothing about what I am saying excuses sin or justifies abuse. And I want to also make this clear. This is not in any way about women respecting men. The Bible doesn't say women are to respect men. The Bible says husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. This is about the marriage relationship. This is not about social structures. Now, I'll move to the last thing. And this will be, I'm just letting you know, guys, this is your favorite one. I'll get you ready for it. Respect his desire for sexual intimacy. Proverbs 5.19 says, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's actually no Bible verse that says, let his breasts satisfy you at all times. (laughs) Some of you are saying, that's sick. (laughs) What's happening here? Well, this verse really is commenting on the fact, we all know it, Men are visually oriented. Why why did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart? Part of what's going on here is Jesus is recognizing that men are visually oriented. And we see it all the time if we're paying attention. Just think about it. You step out of the shower and there your husband is and he's looking at you. And you say to him, what are you doing? Well, after today, he may just say, just being biblical. (laughs) Proverbs 5.19. He has a new memory verse. Now, just turn that around. Reverse that. He steps out of the shower, and you're there. You say, get back in the shower. You're dripping water all over the floor. I just (laughs) waxed it. Here's a towel. Put a towel around you. You're sick. Male-female differences, right? Well, I want you to notice what Paul says, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I'd encourage you to write this next thing down. Your husband has a need for sexual release in the same way you have a need for emotional release. Is it okay for your husband to have a need you don't have? Paul says here that Satan attacks when we're deprived of sexual release. And this is true for men and women, but it's especially true for men. Just as when you're deprived of emotional release can make you as a woman miserable, being deprived of sexual release is very difficult for a man. And again, we see this. Your husband's sexuality is very different from yours. Can you accept that? Men often struggle in this area of sexuality. There's a lot of sin that goes on in this area. And and men typically don't feel like they can talk to their wives about their struggles. Sometimes a husband will try sharing the struggles that he's having only to see his wife pull back in horror and then blast him for being a sick pervert. 
Do you realize that he only came to you and opened up to you because he wanted to confess? But maybe the only reason you want him to be open is to increase your feelings of love. And if he tells you about a dark side in his soul, you just blast him for that. And then you say, well, my husband's not open with me. Well, you told him not to be. In fact, some of you say, have eyes only for me, and he does, and you push him away. See, it isn't about sex. Ultimately, it's about respect. It's deeper than just sex. You could write this down. Being welcomed sexually is the single most affirming, respectful thing a man can experience. And you see, as a general rule, men cannot put a voice to this. Women are, are typically much better expressing their deeper need of love. He, he doesn't know how to say, I, I feel disrespected. And honestly, if he did, there are some of you who would say, you know what, that is insulting to me. I can't believe that you're trying to connect sex with respect. You're a disgusting pig. And he will shut down on you for years. He will live in the fear of your tongue. You ever wonder why he leaves your presence when things get hot? Maybe it's because he's afraid that your tongue is going to butcher his soul. I know that is not your intent, but that's how he receives it in his world. A woman was struggling in her marriage and her husband was not being emotionally responsive and he just wouldn't talk to her. And so she decided that she would not meet his sexual needs until he met her emotional needs. And you won't be surprised, their marriage just suffered all in, in all areas. Sometime down the road, she heard teaching on a man's need for respect sexually. And, and the Lord convicted her that she should simply meet that need. And she wrestled with this, but she finally said, all right, Lord, I will serve him and meet that need gladly. And what happened? Well, it may not happen this way in every case, but what happened was, out of that, her need for face-to-face -face talking, her need for emotional release got met. She later reported, when we lay there in bed afterward, I couldn't get him to shut up. <laughs> See, we are so different, especially in this area. I mean, just think about this. We all know this. The way you get to a woman's body is by authentically touching her spirit. The way you get to a man's spirit is by authentically touching his body. His spirit melts. Once again, especially in such a, a sensitive and, and such a profoundly deep area, there is no excuse for abuse in this area. There is no, nothing here that gives anybody a right to go home and make demands. I'm not saying that at all, so don't say that I said it. But can you see where your husband has a need maybe that you don't have? Is that okay? Let me wrap this up. How do we start this? Where do we begin? And like I said last week, how about we start with the golden rule? Matthew 7, 12 says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You know, some of you women, you have sons and those sons will probably be married someday. I want to ask you a question to think about. What if your son marries someone like you? Would you be all right with that? Do you want any woman to treat your son the way you treat your husband? With the anger and contempt that comes out of you maybe more often than you want to admit. I encourage you to think about that. See, I know uh, today that I've shared some challenging words addressed to women. Uh, last week, of course, it was the men's turn. 
But I want to ask the women a specific question as I wrap this up, especially if you struggle in this area of giving unconditional respect to your husband. Will you be willing to make a choice to do things differently in the future? Will you be willing to make a choice that has the potential to turn your marriage around, even to completely make it over? Will you do for him what you want him to do for you? And what you want him to do for you is to meet your greatest need. Will you do that for him? I want to encourage you to bow your heads and we're going to pray and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we give you thanks today uh, for your word which challenges us, which convicts us, and Lord, which calls us to repentance. And we pray, Lord, that in the midst of conviction that no one will enter shame. Lord, this is not your way. You are so gentle with us, so patient with us. Lord, you, you just walk with us one step at a time. And would you help us to trust you to take the next step today and then the next step tomorrow? And would we walk with hope, hope in your power? Lord, I, I pray that where there has been helplessness, maybe and hopelessness in marriages, that, that you would bring healing to marriages today. Lord, you begin that process today. And Father, where there are good marriages, may they take what you have taught and grow stronger and may they take what you have taught and share what they know with others that it will help. Lord, I pray for the families here at Southwinds that you would so work in us that we become homes that are lived the way Christ would live and would show the glory of the gospel and the goodness of our God in our homes, in our marriages, Father. Lord, we pray these things, we pray all of these things ultimately to give you glory. And we ask them in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, 